Good morning. I want to uh, actually just comment on something from share time before I uh, head where I wanted to with the sermon today. So it um, was striking to me sitting here listening how uh, just seeing God's sovereignty and the mystery of that on display. You know, Henry and Maddie, we've been praying for your grandson uh, for a long time, and you see the, the miracle of that. And then at the same time, in the same gathering, we have another family, Simon and Cora, grappling with a baby who dies. And how do you make sense out of that? And I don't think you can, but we can trust in God's heart and God's sovereignty. And I guess my comment is this. I had read a, an article a couple weeks ago that gripped me where there was a family who they had a baby that lived for two minutes. And they were deeply wrestling with this. What was the point of that? And uh, somebody was sitting with the dad and, and asked the question, why would God create a baby for two minutes? And the dad simply responded, he did not. This baby was made for eternity. And whether you live two minutes or 90 years, we have to keep in mind that we are made for eternity. And so as we wrestle with these questions of, well, why does God do this in one case and not in the other? The only way it makes sense is keeping in mind that we're made for eternity. And, and God will fulfill his purposes. So I hope we can rest in that this morning um, as we feel the tension of that. Um, this morning, I want to continue a, a topic that I started a couple weeks ago. Randy, can you see if you can wake up the uh, PowerPoint back there? So a couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's see if it doesn't like being across the room. We'll get started talking without it. So we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And early on in that chapter, it's talking about, uh, it's talking about the end times and what, um, what, we're, what we see happening in culture. And it was referenced this morning that the Bible clearly outlines that at the end of the age, that there will be hard times. And there's a list of 19 things that are going to happen. And uh, as we looked at that and kind of summarized the first part of the chapter, it, it's the concerns that we all share and that we feel. What about the decay of culture? What about deception? And what about persecution for those who want to follow Christ? So that's the reality of the world that we live in. The last part of the chapter is the promise that we hang on to that God's word is inspired and it promises to do things. It promises that we will be wise, that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. And then here's the promise that the man of God is going to be equipped for every good work. And that is regardless of culture, deception, or persecution. And so that's the promise that we want to hang on to. So if the last time was looking at what God does through his word. And today I'd like to look at the question of how does God do this through his word? So here's the promise for us, and how does God go about this? And if there's a lot of different learning styles, um, if you are somebody who likes word pictures, that's what we're going to talk about today. If you don't like word pictures, um, I'm not sure what to say, but we'll try again next week. But no, I wanted to look at this because when I, as I started studying it, God just again and again and again, when he talks about his word, he uses word pictures. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're not going to look at anyone in a great amount of depth, but let's hear the word picture for what it is. What is one 
or maybe two primary lessons we can learn out of that word picture. And as you listen, maybe listen for one or two word pictures of how God might be working in your heart through his word and, uh, and hang on to that. So that's where we want to go today. I do want to keep this thought in mind as we talk about this. This is from the Voice of the Martyrs. Out of 193, 94 countries in the world today, around 52 to 54 countries highlighted on the map have where the Bible is either dangerous or difficult, illegal or highly restrictive, or covert operations only. And so as we, as we think about the treasure of God's word, I want us just to have this framework in mind. God will still build his church in these countries, but it is a gift that is freely available to us here um, today. So how does God work in my heart through his word? I want to start uh, and just look at some word pictures. And I'll, we're going to cover a lot of different passages. You can flip there if you want or just read up here. And I'm going to start here because it's probably the one we think about the most, and it's the one that's referenced a lot in Scripture. So again, how does God equip me? And he gives us a lot of word pictures of how his word works. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And as we talk about the verse, I just want to have a picture of what the lamps probably would have looked like in this culture. So it was a small just hand-carried lamp that you had filled with oil, the little wick at the front, and a little light. So there's the picture. God's word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. So the first, first word picture is a light. And uh, I had an example of this last night. I was getting ready to put Annika to bed, and for whatever reason, she asked, can I look out the bathroom window? And out of our bathroom window... We've got a kind of a big street light attached to our house, so you have a little bit of light. And then you've got this big, dark field. And she just looked out there for a while, and she said, I'm glad I'm not out there. Like, well, exactly. It's not fun to be alone in the dark, especially if you're, if you're a small child. So we all know what it feels like to be in the dark. God promises that his word is a lamp. And if you look at the, the picture here, I mean, God... God is light, and he can provide a whole lot of light, but the picture is a lamp that we carry that gives us enough light for where we're walking at the moment. And I don't know if you can relate to this. I would tend to want to say that God's word is like a big flashlight that's shining 100 yards down the path, but that's not the word picture at all. The word picture is that God's word is light for where your feet are at the moment and so that you have enough um, enough light and guidance to take the next step. So God's word is light, and it helps us to stay on the right path, and it protects us from falling. A few more, few more verses around this word picture. Psalm 119, continuing in uh, 129 and 130. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The unfolding of your word, and that... That word has the idea, actually, of, of, like un, of plowing ground and uncovering what's there. So when, when we hear God's word and, I guess, I don't know what the word is, sit in it, meditate on it, and allow turn it over, that through that process, God actually gives us light, and he imparts understanding to the simple. And when, uh, when the Bible talks about simple, don't think in terms of our, our mental capacity to think. It is those who don't have understanding of what way to choose. It's actually a maturity for um, word. So we go from being simple 
to wise. Um, and so God, God imparts understanding to the simple through his word. Um, this concept comes out in the way we talk. If you're thinking about a problem, do you, how often do people say, ding, I had a light bulb moment. We, just, we use that word picture. It's just, oh, I now understand. And that's exactly what God's word uh, does for us. So one more uh, with this concept is in Proverbs 6, 20 through 24. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So again, the concept of God's commandment being light. And if you notice, there's three words that we are to do uh, in our heart of, of keeping them close to us. And then he, he promises that if we do that, we will be led, they'll watch over us, and they will talk to us. Show us the path, which way to take. As I was thinking about you know, my life and, and everybody's life here, we all have a lot of experiences, but we all end up going through things for the first time. We've never been through this stage of life before. I'm very aware of that as a dad, as my children mature. I've never, I've never been down this road before. And so I find so much comfort that when we come to God's word, that his word will give us light and understanding for where we're at at that moment, regardless of our age and regardless of the situation that we're that we're facing. So God's word is like a light. So the word picture is light, and I want to just list uh, the, the primary effect or the, what, what is the result we see of this word picture. And so I put down guidance, and you can, there's probably many more. You can think through this, and what does this mean to you? How is God, God's word being a light? What has that done in your life? Okay, I want to go to the next one is in Ephesians 6, and here we're talking about that Satan has a scheme, he's, we have an enemy, he's attacking all of us, we are to stand firm. And God equips us, and we've got this piece of armor, this piece of armor, this piece of armor, all of these things, we're taking up the whole armor, and everything in the end should be covered, and we have one offensive weapon listed. And he, he talks about that in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he goes on to say, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So God's Word, the next word picture is that God's Word is like a sword. Here's a, a picture of a, a Roman sword that would have been roughly something that people would have been familiar with. And these were not long swords. They were about two feet long. So clearly, where is the only time that a sword comes in handy? Is if you're in combat that is very close. And God says that his word is like a sword and um, that it is, in, it is in the hand of the Spirit. So the Spirit writes the word and the sword is in the hand of the Spirit. And you see it, uh, we are to use that to combat Satan's attacks against us. And we see that very vividly in Jesus' temptation where Satan comes with an attack and Jesus, using the sword of the Spirit, comes back, but it is written, using the sword of the Lord and the Word of God to, to deal with temptation. 
one of the times that this uh, became really clear to me in how this works, um, I was walking with a friend who was in the process of leaving some sin behind and was knowing what was right but feeling the pool of what was wrong and just processing this. And I think it was, I think it was from the Lord for the moment, and it's something that I want to keep in mind for my life is that when we're faced with a choice, it's not so much between A and B as what are we going to do with what God has said about this situation. That is the real decision. We can look at all the specifics and how we feel about it and all these things, but at the end of the day, we're left with deciding, what am I going to do with what God said? And that's something that I want to try to keep in front of me and one of the ways to use the sword of the Spirit. All right, the next two are not as well known. So again, highlighting the sword, the effect I wrote down is, is that it's there for our protection. It is our offensive weapon. The next two are not, uh, not referenced quite as much, and they come out of Jeremiah 23, where there were false prophets. And here are two word pictures of God's word. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And I love these word pictures, actually, of, of uh, a fire coming along. So jumping in from, from verse 28 is, the, I think the false teaching is like straw, and God's word is like fire that comes along, and it just cannot stand. God's word will burn off falsehood. God's word will burn off lies that are coming at us. And then he says his word is like a hammer that strikes and breaks or crushes a rock into pieces. And I find that encouraging when, when I think about those times that maybe my heart is hard, or maybe we're praying and praying for people that aren't responding to God. And we have the assurance that God's word is like a hammer, keeps striking a rock, and eventually breaks it open. I think it also speaks of judgment that at one day God will, if, our, if there is a difference between my life and God's word, when there is a collision, God's word will stand and my life will, will either crumble or, you know, and I think of the picture in the New Testament that our works that are not of God will burn up and we'll be left with what is true and what is good. So one, one good thing about God's word being like fire, it does not burn you know, a forest fire burns good and bad, and God's fire only burns the bad, what needs to be burned. So uh, fire, and I just put down, destroys lies, and a hammer uh, speaks of God's judgment. All right, I'm going to keep going, and this one is more inferred than, than just stated directly, and this is Deuteronomy 8. Uh, God is talking to his his people in the wilderness. And Jesus quotes this when he was in the wilderness fasting for 40 days. And it's interesting, we could talk for a long time of all of the parallels between Jesus fasting and the children of Israel's time in the wilderness. But God goes on to say uh, what he did while they were in the wilderness in verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
I found this interesting. The word manna, this is not an exact translation, but it basically means, what is this? And so the children of Israel, they wanted food, they grumbled, and God answered them and fed them, he says, with, with food they didn't know. They didn't even know what this was. But God set this down every morning of the week, except one, when they gathered for two days. So God fed them. But he goes on to say that we are designed to live by to be sustained by the word of God, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus quotes that again uh, when he's tempted. So we are to live dependent on the word of God for that day. We are to go and go to God's word and gather um, grace for that day. So every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, it is a, it's present tense, it's happening now. God is God has spoken, he is speaking, and he will speak, um, and we are to gather that. So the word picture here is of food, and I'm not going to read this, but in, in 1 Peter it talks about um, that we are to desire the word like a baby desires milk, and a baby is not shy about their desire and their need um, to be fed. So God's word, the word picture is food, and the effect that I see is that he nourishes us through it. So again, let's just think through, this is how God um, equips us, and maybe there's one or two word pictures for you to, to hang on to this week. Okay, the next one is, um, is going to be out of Luke 8, and it, uh, the word picture is seed. So Jesus is here, he's telling a parable that we know, he says the seed, the sower goes out to sow, he scatters a lot of seed, and it falls on four different types of soil. And uh, then here's a picture of the different types of soil. So we have some that fell along the road or where people had walked and it was really, it was hard and there wasn't, had, the seed had a hard time taking root. Then you have rocky soil. You've got soil that has lots of thorns and other plants growing up. And then you have the good soil. So the disciples come to Jesus and ask, what does this mean? And Jesus very clearly answers, so the seed in this parable is the word of God. So we know the seed is good. He said, the ones along the path are those who have heard when the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in times of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the picture is here of, of good soil. And uh, just wanted to highlight and note what Jesus says about our heart responding to his word that way. So we're hearing it, but we're holding fast with an honest and good heart. So we're holding on to it. We, the condition of our heart is good. How do we bear fruit? With patience. And I don't know that I have ever really noticed that as much in this parable, that the process of growing fruit and allowing God's word to mature, the picture, first of all, is seeds growing, which is slow. And then he says, you bear fruit with patience. I find a lot of comfort and encouragement in that, that you know, we spend time in God's word and 
Does everybody here just feel like every time you read God's Word, you walk away and you say, wow, without a doubt, I was changed. and I know exactly what God did in my life. I, I don't. Some days it's very clear, like, oh, this is awesome. This is what I want to learn. And other days, it's not as clear. And I don't know even, do you wonder if you got anything out of it? Sometimes it can feel that way. And I think that God says if we come to Him with an honest heart, trying to hold on to what He said, and do it with patience, that He will actually bear the fruit in the long term. I think we can be encouraged in that. Okay, so the word picture here is seed, and the effect of this is a harvest. God creates a harvest in our heart. The next word picture is in Ephesians 5. He's writing to husbands. I'll read these three verses. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but just the word is pictured as water, that cleanses us. And in John 15, where he's talking about he is the vine, you ever notice this right at the start in verse 3? It's almost like he adds in this thought. He says that you are clean through my word. And then he goes on with the rest of the, of the teaching on the vine. So God's word has a, a cleansing effect as we hear it and, and respond to it. So the picture is water and the effect is cleansing. All right, a couple more in Isaiah 55. I want to read this for context, and then there are are two word pictures here. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it is abundantly clear here that there is a gap between my thinking and God's thinking. And the gap is actually infinite. So I think this word picture that comes next is even, even more meaningful when he describes his word. He says, for as the rain and snow come down from where? From heaven. So I think the picture here is God's ways are so much higher than ours. Here's how God pours his ways and his thoughts into us. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. So the word picture here is rain and snow coming down from heaven. And it's very descriptive what it does. It it brings forth, it sprouts, it gives seed to the sower. So it actually creates a harvest that, that multiplies. And it also gives bread to the eater. It meets the need for the day. And God's word does not return back void. And I love the picture of rain. So we could we could get rain, and the effects of that would be pretty immediate. Uh, Nate's work largely goes up and down depending how much rain we get, when it rains, and you can see the effect you know, within hours or for sure within days 
in grass and plants. But then snow is different. And this is fascinating. I only studied it just a teeny little bit, but we could probably talk all morning about how snow works and how um, just parallels for God's word. But snow comes down and it sits and it actually insulates and protects the plants. So sometimes God, you know, speaking of, am I getting anything out of reading God's word? Think about snow. It comes down gently in a flake, sits down on the ground, sits there for a while before it melts. And uh, snowflakes actually insulate. It's both in the snow cover, but then in the construction of the actual snowflake, there's all of these little pockets of air built into each snowflake that help insulate plants. So it insulates, and, and also the way it's designed, it actually allows light to get through for plants under it that need, that need the nourishment. And another thing that's fascinating is as it falls, it collects nutrients that sit there and slowly get released. And so when I think about God's word and how he equips me for every good thing, I'm so thankful. Some days it rains and some days it snows and you wonder if anything happened. But God promises it never goes back void if we um, take it into our lives and into our heart. There's a picture of, of snow uh, gathered around flowers. So rain and snow, a lot of things we could say, but it sustains life. Okay, the last two. In Hebrews 4, um, the warning here is for the children of Israel who failed to enter the promised land because of unbelief. So this whole chapter is warning about that. And then he says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So God's word is living. It is, it's, it's alive, it's active. And we saw that the last time we looked at in Timothy. It's, it's the very breath of God. So it's alive and it's active, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. So God's word has already been pictured as a sword that is a defensive weapon. So it's, it's me, uh, mentioned as a sword here for a very different purpose. And I think almost more of a surgeon's tool when I look at this passage, that God's word can cut like a surgeon's tool, and it can divide, and uh, it says it's a discerner of our thoughts and the intentions. So if you think about your best friend and how much they know about you, they know you very well, but yet God's word is saying that beyond just knowing about you, he knows the thoughts that we think and the very intentions and the motives of our heart. Sometimes we don't even know, but God's word is able to lay that all in the open for him. And the passage is warning about unbelief, so I think that is what God's word does, is lay open unbelief and put in faith and a holding on to his promises. So clearly this is a warning to what God's word reveals in us. But I just want to remind you of where the chapter ends. And again, these are verses we often quote where it talks about having a great high priest who knows what it's like. He can sympathize with our weaknesses and we should draw near in confidence. So as God's word lays our thoughts and our hearts bare, we have a high priest to go to and to find help and strength in time of need. All right, so the picture is of a sword and a surgeon's tool that reveals. 
the last word picture comes out of James. James 1, uh, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so the, the idea here is that God implants his word into our heart. And the, there's the imagery of that in the Old Testament of taking out a heart of stone, putting his law in us. But I also think it speaks of, of Jesus, the word being implanted in our heart. So we are to receive that and receive from his written word with meekness. And then he goes on. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. So the image here is of a mirror. God's word is like a mirror. Obviously, in the morning we get up and we, I expect, look in a mirror and we take action on what we see. And don't walk away from it. Hopefully we get presentable for the day. Um, God says that his word is like that mirror and we are to hear and to do. And I want to highlight that when we are a doer, we are, it does require perseverance in living out and responding to God's word. And then he promises a great blessing. He will be blessed in his doing. So that last word picture is God's word is like a mirror that reflects. So in thinking about these this morning and God's promise that he will equip you, when we think about the question of how does that happen, is there one of these word pictures that uh, can encourage you this week as you spend time in God's Word, maybe you driving down the road and listen to it on your phone. Maybe you sit and read. Um, I don't, maybe you gather with a, a small group and discuss it. Is there a word picture here that can encourage us of how God works in our hearts? A lot of these, oh, there's, there's a whole variety of pictures, but a lot of these require time. Some are instant and powerful but a lot of these require time. Many of God's images are that of time, seed and water and snow. Um, so I don't want us to lose sight of that. In closing, I want to remind us what God says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So God promises to equip us he tells us a lot of word pictures of how he does that. And the call to me is to allow his word to dwell richly in my heart, to give his word a home and then allow him to, to bear the fruit or do whatever he wants in my heart through that. So this week, let's allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Would you stand, please? I'd like to say a word of prayer, uh, and then Daryl's going to lead us in, um, in the chorus, Thy Word is a Lamp. Um, I think it's on 449, if you want to turn there then. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for, who you for who you are this morning. God, thank you that you promise that your word is sufficient to equip us.
for every good work, regardless of what we face. God, I pray that we could live in confidence of that. God, thank you for the richness of your word where you give us many, many pictures of how your word actually works in our hearts. And God, I pray for myself, for each of us, that you would um, give us a hunger for your word. Lord, would you give us a heart that responds to your word? May we, may we keep your word. May we treasure it. And God, teach us what it means to allow your word to dwell, to live in our lives in a rich kind of way um, that can bear fruit that honors you. God, give us patience and perseverance. Lord, there's probably many of us that are aware of things in our lives that we would like to change instantly or tomorrow. God, help us to rest in you, your completed work, and your promise to change us over time to be, to be made in your image. Um, so would you just encourage, encourage us in your heart today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.